Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone. Hey, I got a question for you. When was the last time you don't recall being aware of what time it was? See, most of us have to think pretty hard about that, right? Because for the most part, we either know or we can quickly find out what time it is between uh, cell phones, uh, watches, Fitbits, bank signs, corporate signs. We, think about this, we more than any other generation are equipped to always know what time it is. And it's interesting because uh, we still ask the question. That is, this is the most common question that is asked when it comes to time. What time is it? What time is it? And honestly, and most of you probably never thought about how many times a day you check to see what time it is, depending on what statistic you look at, Americans check their cell phones anywhere between, this is amazing, 80 and 150 times a day. Now, are they checking to see what time it is? Probably not, but you know how this works. If you get a notice of an email or something, when you look at that device, you're going to see what time it is, right? You just kind of naturally look at that, right? So to be sure, every now and then, you know, we'll lose ourselves either in a novel are out playing golf or the fish are biting or something like that. And yeah, occasionally it's like we lose track of time, but those times are few and far between. And even when they happen, we're quickly snapped back into reality of wanting to know what time it is or checking to see what time it is because we are very, very time conscious. But when it comes to the passing of time, maybe we've been asking the wrong question all these years. Maybe the question we should be asking isn't, what time is it, but rather, what am I going to do with the time that I do have left? After all, think about this. How depressing is it to always want to know what time it is? I mean, think about that. Knowing what time it is is really nothing more than a constant reminder of the thing that is most depressing about you and most depressing about me. And that's the fact that our time's running out, isn't it? Our time's running out. But it's not even just that our time's running out. It's how we're able to have a, uh, a panoramic front row seat to this depressing reality. Between calendars that help us see how fast the months and weeks go by, to cell phones to help us see how fast the hours go by, to Fitbits that help us see how fast the minutes go by, to watches that help us see how fast the seconds go by. We actually get to see our lives tick away by the second, don't we? How depressing is that? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Let's pray and go eat. Seriously, from the time, and look, you know this. You guys know this. From the moment you took your first breath, you were on the clock. You were on the clock. And the older we get, the faster time seems to go by. And there's actually a scientific explanation as to why time seems to go faster 
the older we get. That, that's not just your imagination. It is a fact. The older we get, we do experience time as if it's going faster. See, when you were a kid, Christmas never got here. Now that you're a parent, it's like, what? Christmas is here again? Right? It's a completely different perspective. So one of the worst things that you can ask is what time is it? Because it's really nothing more than a reminder that our time is tick, tick, ticking away. And while this passing of time epiphany is different for everyone, generally speaking, we become aware of this when we're in our, usually our 40s. You kind of come to that place where instead of thinking, you know, I'm 18, I'm 21, I'm 30, and then somewhere in between 40 and 50, for most people, not everyone, but for most people, it's between 40 and 50. You wake up one day and you're like, uh-oh, I'm running out of time. Instead of looking back at how old you are, you start looking ahead out into the future and realize that you have a finish line. We all have a finish line out there somewhere. Now, for me... This happened during the time span between when our last child graduated, when Zach graduated from high school, and when we're, we were transitioning into being empty nesters. And honestly, i got to be honest, for a while, it didn't last long, but man, while it lasted, it consumed me. It really did. I just sat down, and it's like, for two or three days, I just, I couldn't believe how much of a blur the previous 20, 25 years had been. I mean, I know I lived it, but it's like, how did that happen? And this, that phrase kept going through my mind, the days are long, but the years are short. And something really does happen in our mind through this transition because we quit thinking about how old we are and we start thinking about how much time we have left. It's like we get this, you know, we, we kind of have this love-hate relationship with time because on the one hand, we don't want to be reminded of how quickly time passes. But on the other hand, we're always constantly aware of what time it is. Isn't that weird that we're like that, right? So maybe a better question, a better focus, rather than asking what time is it, would be to begin asking this question, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my time? And see, that's a big idea. That's a very important question. And so to help us answer this very important question, we're going to look to a guy who had some perspective on time and the passing of time. You probably heard of him. His name was Moses. And Moses, and some of you might know this, but Moses actually wrote one of the Psalms. David wrote most of them, but Moses did write one of them. And it's interesting because the one Psalm that Moses wrote dealt with this grand idea of the passing of time. Now I'm going to tell you why Moses is qualified to talk to us about the passing of time. See, when he was a child, and you've all seen the Ten Commandments or the King of Egypt, so you probably know this. But when Moses was a baby, Pharaoh's daughter took him in, and so he was raised as an Egyptian, which meant Moses learned to walk like an Egyptian and talk like an Egyptian. <laughs> and then one day, I'm sorry, I had to do that. And then one day, in his late teens, early 20s, he realized that even though he walked and talked like an Egyptian, he really wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. And so he looked around at all the injustices that were directed at his fellow Hebrew slaves by Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and he decided to do something about it. So he killed 
one Egyptian, and then he killed another Egyptian, and then he became a fugitive, and he had to flee for his life. And for the next 40 years, Moses lived in a place that some of the newer, newer Bible translations call the far wilderness. The Old English describes it as the backside. Those of you that grew up in church heard this, the backside of the desert, which I always thought was an interesting description. It's like you've got the desert, and then you've got like the backside of the desert, which in my mind kind of translates this way. If the desert is a place you don't want to be, the backside of the desert is a place you really don't want to be. If you're at the backside of the desert, you're there on purpose. You don't just stumble upon the backside of the desert. You're there for a reason. And Moses was there because he was a fugitive hiding out. So from Moses' perspective, he went from one extreme to the other. He was like a prince of Egypt. And now he's hiding out in the backside of the Sinai Desert somewhere, living out in the wilderness. And while he's out there, he runs into a family of shepherds, and they hire him, and he becomes a shepherd. Now, here's the interesting thing. Moses spent 40 years. Now, let, let that settle in on you for just a second. 40 years. And not even just 40 years. 40 years of what we would consider the best years of his life. Moses spent doing nothing. Doing nothing. Every day was the same. He didn't need a watch. If the sun was up, he was out watching the sheep. If the sun was down, he was asleep with the sheep. And then the next day was the exact same routine. Wash, rinse, repeat for 40 stinking years. And then after 40 years, God said, okay, Moses, I actually do have a plan for your life. So he brings Moses back from the backside of the desert, from out of obscurity. And here's the part of the story that, that most of you know. God has Moses go before Pharaoh, say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no, and then he says yes, and then he says no, and then he says yes, and then Moses raises his staff, and the Red Sea parts, and all the Israelites cross, and then Moses becomes a household name as he leads the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, and that's why today we all know who Moses is. So now, with all that as a backdrop, I mean, one day the guy was on top of the world, the second most powerful man in Egypt, and the next day he's a fugitive running for his life. From the comfort of Pharaoh's castle or pyramid or wherever he lived to sleeping on a mat on the backside of the Sinai Desert, doing nothing but babysitting sheep for 40 years. I'm telling you, folks, 40 years of doing nothing can bring some perspective when it comes to the passing of time. So in this psalm, Moses gives us some perspective on how we should view time. And basically, what Moses tells us is when it comes to time, context is everything. Context is everything. Let's read it. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you've been our dwelling. Our is the nation of Israel. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the world. That, that's talking about even before creation. And then here's our context. Watch this. Here, this, is, this is important. You brought forth the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. See, most people live their lives through the context of birth, death. We're born, we die, 
and then we're somewhere there in the middle, right? Moses is going to tell us that the proper context for living life isn't birth to death with us in the middle, but rather the proper context for our life should be everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. So Moses is saying, okay, if you want to understand the bookends of your life, the bookends of your life are not you're born, you die, and then you're somewhere in the middle. The bookends of your life are from everlasting to everlasting with God and hopefully you somewhere there in the middle. And look, if we don't look at our lives and the passing of time through that context, then we're going to get to the point where we're going to ask the question, and maybe you've asked this question, or maybe you know someone who has asked you this question. What's the point? What's the point? I mean, if we're born, we die, and then we do stuff in the middle, really? That's it? See, this is why so much of our lives evolve around us when we're younger in our teens and early 20s. Because that's the time of life where it really is all about us. I mean, after all, we got our whole lives ahead of us, right? And why not? We're 18, 19. We can't help but think that way. But as we get older, we begin to realize Maybe I'm not the point. And we begin to ask the question, so if I'm not the point, what is the point of life? And see, the reason we ask that question is because as we begin to look around, not just at our lives, but at the lives of those around us, friends, neighbors, coworkers, when we begin to look around at other people's lives, it, it can get kind of scary because everyone's life looks pretty much the same. We're born, we go to elementary school, we go to middle school, we go to high school, we either get a job or go to college, those are the, kind of the two paths that we, we do. We go to college, we get out of college, we get a job, and now we catch up with the people who skip college altogether. So now we both have jobs, and then we try to get married, and then some people do get married, and then some people get married two times, and some people get married three times. And then we have kids, and then our kids grow up, and then we retire, and then we fish or play golf, and then we get sick, and then we die. Now question, be honest. How many of you know people that that was kind of their story? Huh? Be honest. Yeah, like pretty much everyone we know, right? See, that's kind of a version of their story. And at some point in life, we're like, what's the point of all this? I mean, if that's all there is, and so we come to this point where we begin to realize, you know, maybe, maybe there is more to this than just me. We begin to realize that we're not the point of life. So then if we're not the point of life, then what is? And Moses is going to tell us that the reason that you think you're the point and the reason you wonder if there is a point is because you don't understand the context in which God has given you these few years to live. He goes on in verse 3, Psalm 90. You turn people, now here we kind of get to, it almost sounds like this science fiction, Lord of the Rings type thing here. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Isn't that great? Cue up Kansas, dust in the wind kind of picture a Gandalf-looking character from Lord of the Rings. Return to dust, you mortals. Right? 
In other words, Moses is saying, look, it doesn't matter how cool you are, how rich you are, how popular you are. It doesn't matter what status you've achieved in life. And by the way, I'm Moses. At the end of it all, God says, return to dust, you mortals. He goes on, verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Now think about that. Let that settle in. A thousand years, I mean, that's, that's, that's like I'm trying to think back. That's like right before the Crusades, right? Right before the Crusades to now in God's mind. That's like a day. And we're like, whoo, that's pretty quick, isn't it? Right? And Moses says, actually, it's worse than that. He says, or like a watch in the night. Night watches at that time in history were divided into either three or four periods. So they would send a guard out on the castle wall or maybe even out as, to watch the sheep. And you would get the first watch or the second watch. But a watch was basically three or four hours, okay? So Moses says that for God, a thousand years is like three or four hours. Now, don't do the math or you'll get even more depressed. I don't know how accurate it is, but someone did the math for the thousand years is like a day and determined that if a day equals a thousand years in the Lord's sight, then one hour would equal 41 years, seven months, 28 days, one hour, 26 minutes, and 24 seconds. Like, what? Then you put the day... You ever done, have you filled out anything online? You know, you, you, you're signing up for something online and it asks for the, the month and the day and then the year you were born. You ever done anything online like that? So you type in, like for me, March 8th, 1956. So I type in the three, then I type in the eight, and then, man, you spin that thing like a roulette wheel to get back to 1956, right? You older people know what I'm talking about because, you know, you can't just click. No, no, you got to get it back there far enough. Moses said, that's like your life. Moses said, that's like your life. It really is. It goes by like that. That's how quick your life is. Verse 5, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. You get up in the morning and there's new grass. And then he says this, verse 6. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. He's saying that from... He's, he's, he's saying this from the perspective of eternity to eternity or from everlasting to everlasting. See, this is what a person's life is like. Like it's here and then it's, it's gone. It's like grass in the morning. And then by evening, it's too hot, it's dead, right? He says it's even less than a watch in a night. Now, God's point and Moses' point, listen carefully here. It's not that your life doesn't matter, even though that's kind of how it feels as you're reading through this, the way that he words it. It almost feels like it doesn't really matter. Moses' point isn't, hey, do whatever you want because it doesn't matter. You're just ashes to ashes, dust to dust. No, his point is that, look, your life is so brief. Your life is so quick. Your life is like grass. It's, it's like dust that it's futile to try to create something meaningful on your own. You don't have enough time to do that. That's his point here. Because the truth is, we really don't have enough time. Our only hope for purpose, our only hope for significance, is to take the events of our life, our little moments of time, 
and to sync those with God's will and God's word within the context of what God is up to in this grand story. Listen, dear ones. You can't find real lasting purpose if it's all about you. It's been tried. It's been tried. It's never been done. And honestly, the one person who, who probably could have pulled it off, Moses, he probably could have pulled that off. But he says the context for your life is not you. It's everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. And then he gives us some application in verse 10, Psalm 90, verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them, he's talking about the best years, he's talking about the best years, are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. He's saying, you know what? Even if you've got a good life, you live a good life, there are going to be times of sorrow, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for your life. It doesn't mean that God's not paying attention. Remember who's writing this. This is Moses, okay? Moses, whose, con whose context for life during the most productive years of his life was on the backside of a desert babysitting sheep for 40 years. And he says, look, you're going to get 70, 80, maybe 90 years, and you're going to meet some turbulence during that time, and eventually you'll die. And after your funeral, everyone's going to sit around at the church fellowship hall eating price chopper chicken, potato salad, talking about how great a person you were. That's how it works, right? And then we come to verse 11, which when you're just reading through this psalm, it kind of jumps out at you. It's like, what's that doing in here? But verse 11 is important because it actually connects us to the whole point of what Moses is trying to say, which is verse 12. So let's read verse 11. If only we knew, implying that we don't, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now, that sounds a little confusing when you're trying to put it in context with everything else that he said. But here's what I believe Moses is saying here. Here's my paraphrase of this verse. Moses is saying, if we could see God as he really is, I mean in all of his glory and grandeur and power, if we could see him in that perspective, then we would give him the reverence that he's due. We really would. If we were ever exposed to the full glory of God, if we could see it and survive, then it would radically change how we live our daily lives. Because people who have a genuine encounter with God understand that the bookends of life aren't you're born, you die, and you're in the middle. No, the bookends of life are everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. So with all that in mind, what are we supposed to do here, Moses? We're not going to argue with you. We agree here. I mean, we've seen enough people who, who have lived selfishly, tried to make life all about themselves. Those are people that you don't like being around, right? We don't want to marry people like that. We don't want to work for people like that. We don't want to be that person. Okay, so what should we do, Moses? And then Moses, with all of his wisdom, with all of his experience, he begins to pray. Verse 12. And here's what he prays. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us, because we don't do this by ourselves. 
Teach us. Because we don't know how. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to live our lives as if our days are numbered. Because they are. We know that. We don't like to think about it, but we're reminded every time we look at that second hand. So God, in light of what you're doing, in light of how grand you are, teach us to number our days. What does it mean to live as if our days are numbered? We actually understand this better than we might realize. You gals who are married or who maybe were once a bride, you know what it means to number your days. Mallory Osborne was at the first service, and I uh, threw this challenge out. I said, uh, I challenge anyone to go ask Mallory Osborne how many days till her wedding. If she can't tell you, I'll buy you a steak dinner. That was a safe bet because every bride knows how many days till their wedding. Now, Gage, don't ask Gage. He didn't, well, I'm getting married? I don't know, right? But we understand this better than we might realize. You students, any students out there, you look at your syllabus and the number of days till your midterm or your final exam, and then you determine what you need to do between now and then because your days are numbered, right? If you've ever bought a house and set a closing date, you've numbered your days. If you've ever had surgery, hey, when's your surgery? Well, I think I've got two weeks. Well, what do you need to do? Well, between now and then, I've got to do this and this and this and this. If you've ever had any kind of a special day or date or birthday or anniversary coming up, you knew two things about that date. You knew how many days away it was, and you knew that there were things you needed to do before that date got there, right? You had things to do to prepare for that. So, yes, we all know what it means to number our days. We know what that means. So Moses says, says this, says, God, we don't know the day of our death. And since we don't know the day of our death, and there's so much about you we don't understand, teach us, God, what it means to live as if our lives, as it live our lives as if our days are numbered. Why? Why is that important for God to teach us that? Moses tells us in the next verse. And this is kind of the, the, where it kind of takes a, a different turn than most of us would expect. It says, teach us to number our days that which means the result being that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Look at that. That we may gain a heart. The reason we need to learn to number our days, even though none of us know exactly how many days we're going to live, the reason we need to learn to number our days is because we'll make better decisions when we understand that the context of life is everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle actively working in and with us. We won't be able to make wise decisions if we don't make decisions within the context of understanding that we only have a certain number of days to live. When we live our lives from that point of understanding, then we'll make better decisions financially, relationally. As a parent, we'll make better decisions. Professionally, educationally, every decision will be better. You, me, we're, we're all much wiser if we'll make decisions within the context of knowing that our days are numbered. That's just how it works. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Instead of always asking, what time is it? We should be asking how we can better use the time that we have. So here's Moses' point. Moses says, look, because my life is too brief to live for me, my glory is too small to dedicate my whole life to, I don't want to waste my 70 or 80 or 90 years living for my glory. I want it to be maximized within the grand scheme of what God is up to in this world. So, going forward in this series, 
we're going to start looking at some very practical things that will help us as we learn to number our days and live our lives within the context of God's active involvement in our lives from everlasting to everlasting. We'll talk about how to maximize our time. We'll talk about how to maximize our schedules. We'll talk about focus and priorities. We're going to talk about all those practical things that have to do with time. But here's what I don't want you to lose sight of. All those incredible things the Bible teaches about time, it's not so that we can have a more organized and arranged life. No, because remember, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. No, all these incredible insights that Moses gives us regarding the passing of time are for the purpose of gaining a heart of wisdom so that we can begin to live our lives as if they do have a point and the point isn't us. We're not it. We can begin to live as if we are part of a much greater narrative than our lives will ever reflect. We can begin to live as if our time is limited, because it is, because it is. And most importantly, we can begin to live as if we have been invited into everlasting, to everlasting, because we have, because we have. And when we begin to expand our thinking and begin to see the people around us within that context and we see our opportunities within that context, we see our money within that context, we see our talent within that context, then suddenly, suddenly we find purpose that goes way beyond anything that we would ever be able to manufacture in our own strength or within the context of our own birth, death, and us in the middle. But... It begins when we begin to live our lives as if our days are numbered because they are. And when we understand that the bookends of life aren't life, death, and us in the middle, but everlasting to everlasting with God and hopefully us in the center of that. Because God wants to be actively involved in our lives between those bookends. That, dear ones, is when we begin to gain a heart of wisdom. So here's what I want you to do this week. We're starting our 21 days of prayer Kyle was talking about. So I'd like for you to do this week, I want you to pray uh, for two things, all right? First, begin praying Psalm 90, verse 12, that psalm that, that uh, the, the, the prayer that Moses prayed. And look, even if you don't fully understand it, by faith, pray it. Pray that God would teach you to number your days that you might gain a heart of wisdom. And then second, Pray that God will help you begin to live living your life, not from the context of birth and death with you in the middle, but from the context of everlasting to everlasting with God and hopefully you in the middle. Let me pray for you. Lord, I do pray that you would teach all of us to number our days, not just so we can begin to unclutter and arrange our lives and our daily schedule, but so we can gain a heart of wisdom. And for those who have been living their lives from the context of birth to death with them in the middle, help them to recognize that it's really not about us. And a better way to live is from everlasting to everlasting with you and us in the middle. If you're here this morning and you're not really even sure if you believe any of the stuff that I've talked about, but you do recognize that time, your time is slipping away with each passing day, I pray that you would take a step of faith and pray this prayer of Moses, that God would teach you to number your days, that you might gain a heart of wisdom. After all, who couldn't, 
who could use some extra wisdom. And lastly, if you're watching, listening, and you either don't have a personal relationship with Jesus or maybe that relationship is not where it needs to be or where it once was, it would be my honor to pray for you that you could be reconciled to God, God who loves you, God who invites you to call him Heavenly Father. If you would just pray this simple prayer with me, say, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me in my relationship with you. First of all, forgive me of my sins, those things I've done that have separated me from you and the everlasting to everlasting that you have set for me. I want to be in the middle of that everlasting to everlasting with you, Lord. I want to begin living my life with a sense of purpose, recognizing that life is far too short for me to accomplish anything of significance on my own. So I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my heart, my life, and help me begin living my life for God and for God's glory and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen.